Good morning, planet Earth. Good morning, my friends. Are you out there? Waking up? Getting out of bed? Grabbing your puppy for a walk? It's Friday. Good Friday, I believe. April, yeah, April the 7th, 2023, Bob Limtock. Sunday is Easter Sunday, as I understand it, unless my calendar in my head is broken. And if you're a Christian, like me, today is a good day to ponder, at least for a moment, maybe longer, the fact that the Lord in heaven, God, loved us so much that he sacrificed his only son, Jesus, to save the world. It sounds like a joke to a lot of people these days. A big joke. Giant, giant joke, and the joke's on me. How can you believe that nonsense? Don't you know it's an ancient Sumerian trick? Don't you know it's part of the cabal? Aren't you aware you're being fooled? Well, let me tell you about how I ended up on the road with Jesus. I swallowed every single secular fucking lie you can imagine, including to some extent the lie of modernity. Now, what is the lie of modernity? Well, to keep it simple, the lie of modernity is this belief that progress is an infinite line going straight up, but it's not. Progress is a myth. It's a, it's a gigantic cult. It really relates to the Enlightenment period, and it is this belief that somehow, some way, humans, in the right circumstances, always get bigger and better and more powerful and healthier and live longer. And you know what? End up with fancier trinkets. In our case, computers, robots, satellites, smart devices, you name it. All kinds of really flashy trinkets. I believed all that shit. I was an atheist for most of my life. Now, there was a fly in the ointment at the same time. For most of my life, I had a fairly strong, maybe even pathologically obsessive notion of right and wrong. And that vexed me. Because as an atheist, I had to go through a process of figuring out where that shit was coming from. And it wasn't the trivial right and wrong of the nun or the teacher or the Catholic school or the priest. It wasn't. As a, as a little kid, I got into trouble all the time. All the time I was getting into trouble for, for speaking up, for being too loud. I spent most of my years up until the age of 14 in the hallway. Or, you know, getting dirty spankings from the nuns. I think they have another name for that now, but I don't really give a fuck at this point. About, I'd say, 13 years ago, roughly 14 years ago, a lot of the things I believed were solid 
with respect to modernity and progress and the future and all that, a lot of those things just started to melt around me. And it wasn't just the great financial crisis. That wasn't the whole thing. But it was one of those things. And you could argue that to some extent, those beliefs I held, not just about, you know, being an atheist, but the beliefs I held about America being a free republic, you know, I believed that shit in my 20s. I signed up to serve the country for those reasons in my 20s. What I came to realize very quickly on active duty is it was bullshit. And yeah, maybe I was naive and stupid, and maybe you deserve to make fun of me, but understand, I ended up an anarchist, not because I went to anarchist university. I ended up an anarchist because I got kicked around enough, and eventually I got tired of being kicked. And you could argue, to some extent, that's how I ended up a Christian. But yeah, on a day like this, in 2023, a lot of people will make fun of you for being a Christian. They won't talk about the fact that modernity made all kinds of fucking promises. Oh yeah, you remember those promises back in the 70s? I've talked about them. We're all going to be living on Mars. We're all going to be drinking Martian martinis. We're all going to have flying cars. You know, all those things. And then there's the robot bullshit. Every fucking year. For the last 53 fucking years of my life, I've been promised these amazing robots. And yeah, we've got lots of video, but when the fuck are they going to clean up the streets? Really? If they're going to be so cheap, so ubiquitous, so smart, why not have them go down to Little Saigon in Seattle, or, I don't know, Pioneer Square in Seattle, and clean the blood and the cum and the shit and the urine and all the other garbage and the dried condoms off the street? If the answer is, you don't know, well then maybe modernity is still lying to you, fuck. So for all those out there, you atheists who love to make fun of Christians, especially on a day like today, let me, let me explain one thing. You could be right. I could be insane. I mean, I've been pondering my sanity off and on for about 18 fucking months. I have. Ever since I moved down here, ever since I got down here, which really is 24 months now, it's two years, um... I've been, I've been asking the question, am I crazy? Because what I saw in Seattle from all the smart, intelligent, mostly atheistic piece of shit commies was a lot of fucking batshit crazy, a lot of dehumanization, a lot of willingness to give in to a cult. What I saw in Seattle in 2020 and 2021 while I was there was basically Jonestown with avocado toast. So go ahead if you're an atheist. Go ahead if you're some stinking commie. Go ahead and make fun of the Christian for having faith. But brother, sister, if you're walking that secular road and you're making fun of Christians, you better ask yourself another fucking question. Why are you wasting your time? You see, if you really, really believed what you believe and Christians aren't pestering you or poking you or forcing you to read the Bible then why are you wasting your goddamn time? If you think we're all so fucking stupid, how is it you are so goddamn special that you're going to change us? That you're going to give us the fucking wisdom and the truth? I don't care if you're Richard 
fucking Dawkins and you're some kind of super genius who's an expert in biological evolution, I don't care if you're Scrumbo Pete who drinks MD-2020 by the 7-Eleven. Why, as an atheist, would you waste any of your fucking time on a god and on believers that you think don't exist and are fools? Why would you do that? That's your question to answer, in my opinion, on a day like today. You don't have to believe what I believe. But here's another thing I'll let you think about. A lot of people, when they think about today, Good Friday, they think about the Lord, the Lord on trial, the Lord physically tortured, the Lord marched through mockery and ridicule and whippings and beatings up to the top of a hill to be crucified with a couple criminals. And again, that is correct. But I'm going to throw a curveball at you and say, as bad as all that was, like the time that Jesus spent in the desert, it was very much temporal. It was very much of this world. To, to go to a court of law, to be judged by humans, to have onions and potatoes and eggs or who knows what other rotten kind of food thrown at you, to be whipped, to be beaten, to be stabbed, to be crucified. These are terrible, terrible things. But brothers and sisters, these are things of this world. These are the physical things of this world that too shall pass. You see, I think the real torture of Christ, the real torture he had to undergo while he was here as a person, the real torture started in the garden, probably the night before. The real torture started whenever Jesus had a moment to ponder what exactly he was doing there. The real torture was to see every mistake, every lack of forgiveness. Every time you watched, walked down the street and you saw a fellow person by the wayside and you pretended they weren't even there, you didn't even try to help, you used some type of cynical rationalization. Every time you let a brother, a sister, a friend, a father, a mother basically sink below the surface because you were too busy. Every single time you ignored your prayer, your Bible study, every single time a person murdered, every single time a person raped, every single time a person broke into a home and stole someone's food, every single insult to the human condition. And when you consider that the Lord created us in his image, and when you consider that the Lord gave this world to us, even this imperfect world that is not Eden, for us to live in and to try to live in in peace, when you see what we've done to it, all of it through time, forward and backward, that is what Christ took to the cross. Yeah, the beatings were terrible. The whippings were really bad. Any ordinary human would have dropped dead before they had gotten to the top of that hill. But what Lord, what the Lord, what Jesus Christ was carrying up to the top of that hill was the pain of centuries. All of it. Everything. What had happened before, what would happen in the future, the whole shebang. He was carrying the sins of the world. 
that is the, I guess I would say, the real message of the cross. The cross is a physical thing in terms of crucifixion, but the real message, in my opinion, isn't the torture of the physical. It is the torture of understanding all the sins that people can and will commit. And knowing that, that's the burden. That's the thing that leads the Son of God to basically be sad, probably even probably even depressed, because you have to ponder that. You know, I've said this before, I'll say it again. There is no forgiveness without truth. If some random schlub comes up to you and says, forgive me, don't forgive them. Ask first, what is it I am forgiving you for? There is no forgiveness without truth. How is it the Lord could take our sins to the cross and not know every single sin? And the answer is, he would have to. You think you've seen a horror story or read a horror story, you've seen a a horror film, you think you know the worst of mankind because some politician or some ideologue, some demagogue gave you their story of their pain. It's not one person. It's not one people. It wasn't just the Hebrews. It wasn't just, you know, the various people of, of the Mediterranean who had a chance to hear the word firsthand specifically the people of the Holy Land. It wasn't just for them. It was for all the people that didn't get to hear the voice of Jesus. It was for everybody. It was for Romans. It was for centurions. It was for the Germans at the time, the Germanic tribes, the Roman armies were fighting. It was for the Celts who were still practicing who knows what kind of hinky satanic religion. It was for them too. It was for people in Polynesia. It was for people in ancient China. It was for people all over Africa. It was for every living soul on planet Earth that had been born and would be born. It was for everybody. Every language, every culture, every single horrifying thing you can imagine that one human would do to another. That's the burden of the cross. And there is no burden without truth. And there is no forgiveness without truth. And if some of you folks out there have wondered, why, Dan, do you seem so stony and so hard? Why is it that you are in sin, a state of sin, because it's hard for you to forgive people for the COVID? Well, here's my answer, and here's why I'm not in a state of sin. We don't know the truth yet. You may think you know the truth, but I I believe you're confused. When we know the truth, we can start to forgive. But if some random person shows up at my door and says, forgive me, no, sorry, that's not the message of Christ. Review every time the Lord helped, every time the Lord inserted himself. Did he do so out of ignorance or out of wisdom and understanding? So yeah, today's Good Friday, I believe. And if you're going to ponder as a Christian or even as an atheist what this means, a good thing to think about is this idea. And again, I'm not going to I'm not beating up on you if you're an atheist or not a Christian, okay? 
I'm simply trying to express my feelings here. But if you're a, not a Christian, if you're an atheist, for example, you can at least ponder the question of, could you carry all the dark secrets of everybody you know? I don't mean the world, just your circle. If you had all their dark secrets in your head, all their sins, as a Christian would define them, all the harm they've committed, maybe as you would define it, if you had that in your head, could you deal? Could you persevere? Could you make that work? It's just a question. And, and the same thing could be said for Christians out there. If you had to carry all the dark secrets of everyone you know and love, could you do it? And then also, could you forgive? Forgiveness is easy if you don't know anything. It's a black box. But then the truth comes like a truck going 60 on the turnpike. Yeah, that wasn't even a topic for today necessarily. It's simply a topic because I felt like, well, I felt like we should talk about it. I don't know. Anyways, this is a podcast, not a Christian service. So if I use, you know, the F-bomb, understand that that's, you know, foul language, curses. <laughs> if you don't know what a curse is, you need to figure that out. If you wish somebody dead, for example, that's a curse. Especially, well, only if you mean it, really. But I don't know if the Lord does know for certain when you do or don't mean it. You shouldn't do that. Saying the F-bomb, it's not a curse. You know, it's not. I mean, intentionality is everything, but I don't think it's a curse. Anywho, but it is foul language, and it's not really respectful to discuss Jesus and swear too much. So that's why I need to switch topics here. You know, for many people, this is the springtime, right? Springtime means, you know, the flowers start to bloom, blossom, blossom and bloom. You have your springtime penny whistles and the little creatures that come out to greet the sun every morning. They sing their songs of love. You, you have your heart and your heart beats for somebody and it's a warm, woolly-headed kind of thinking and it's greasy and some call it lorb. That's right. Some people call it lorb. It's a greater love for you earthly shitheads. I lorb you. I lorb you, you magnificent fuck. I'd build a rocket ship called the Cum Dragon. I'd load it up with, you know, busty bitches that are high on crack. And covered in goose sweat, you'd be riding high traveling the cosmos, 
in search of fast time Mary on a Friday night binge. I lower view. I was a, a catch-a-can toaster. I met you while feeding the horbies. Yes, you wore scarlet and green and were mean to me and nice to my dog. I laid waste to the 17 sectors beyond the moon. You stood fast until you saw my cock and started to swoon. And we felt it, and it was real. Cause I lorb you so much, baby. He was the orange potato. He stood fast. He was the orange potato. He stood tall against the horror witch of the south. He was the Cheeto Bandito and was at the ready to drain the bog. We all said sure he could become our plastic Jesus. He said huge and led our armies of sticky surprise. He promised to imprison the witch. He stole the magical till rod. He said the monkey herpes was a glitch. But fucker Fauci remained in charge of those warp speed dreams, motherfucker. And we lorbed him. We lorbed him with so much zeal. I took time to caress your bare fustule. You grabbed my man pipe and fed me your stuggus. I massaged your buvula and caressed your honey lips. You grabbed my ball sack with your cold, slimy grip. I could have built for you a castle made of apple pudding with seven sister wives awaiting your glorious day of triple decay. I might have been the Duke of Toledo, baking bread from rotten teeth and bones beneath. But you were my huddle grub, and I took you for granted, and now have lost your lub. But I lorb you, Jasmine, 
you're my stripper wife. I cleaned up those things that crawled from your underwear. But I lorb you, Jasmine. We will meet again one day. We will meet. That's what the angels say. We will meet near a burning building filled with castor oil, filled with miserable fucks. We will meet on a ferry. We will meet on a train, we will meet in outer space after we both go insane. You can talk about your lovers. You can list their defects and gains. You can have a movie about lovers and go insane and do cocaine. It's a hard rain for those drainage ditch romantics looking for some thorny Kevin or nasty Marguerite. It's a tough world out there, maggot. Get rich quick or get going strong. But that gentle lover that hangs on, your every word. Her name is Gerd, short for Gertie. You're not really wordy but you lorb her and you'll never let her go Yes, indeed, everybody needs some lorb in their life. You know what I mean, crapheads. Next topic, topic not lorb. Here's a quote from Dr. Freckles. Cops protect cops, first and always. It's not very interesting, but let me talk about why that's a quote right now. There's been a lot of hoopla in the flotsam and jetsam and noise of the maelstrom of human conversation with respect to something called qualified immunity. And qualified immunity essentially protects law enforcement officers from repercussions, you know, when they like kill people and other things like that. It's, it's a kind of a legal protection for people who are police. And, you know, FBI, I think, have it too. It's a thing. And the argument goes, if you remove qualified immunity, suddenly the cops start working again. It, they were broken because they didn't think anybody was looking, but you take away qualified immunity and now they're all going to go to trial. So they're going to be nice cops and they won't rape or kill or steal your money. Yeah. 
But what if that's a load of shit? And again, when I did a podcast called Popping Smoke, which is in my archives, if you search for Popping Smoke in my podcast archive, you'll find it. It'll be harder to find on Spotify because everything's buried there, shithead. But that being said, I did this podcast called Popping Smoke in January 2020, really before the monkey herpes took off as a Hollywood star. And one of the things I pointed out is that towards the end, they would dump a lot of bullshit on us, a lot of crap. Not all of it would be lies. I mean, it would all be designed to, to, to piss you off, to poke you. It would definitely be salt in the wound type shit, but it, it might actually be true. It's like the Hunter Biden shit. It's just as powerful from a PSYOP perspective if everything about the Hunter Biden story is true that he is a giant shithead, probably a pedophile, definitely a drug addict, that he's had several stripper wives and probably had sex with the stripper kids. All that could be true, but the reality is it's not resolved. It's like the Epstein thing. I don't care if he's dead, murdered, dead suicide, or probably more likely sipping orange soda in Haifa. The Epstein story is an open wound. It doesn't get healed. It's never been healed. And the Clinton traveling road show goes on forever. I go off on this tangent because this qualified immunity thing might just be another way that the deep state is just sort of like poking the bear. Poking the bear to piss it off. It knows the bear is blind. It knows the bear is deaf. And it knows that most of what the bear says is, you know, turd shit. <laughs> which is the lowest kind of shit. Um, it pokes the bear because, again, as counterintuitive as this sounds, it keeps the bear occupied and it keeps the person doing the poking protected. Uh, qualified immunity is a silly, silly thing. It will protect nobody. Nobody. Okay, what protects cops from getting in trouble is not qualified immunity. And you'd find that out very quickly if you got rid of it. What protects cops is other cops. Oh, but Dan, there's internal affairs. There's internal affairs. Didn't you see that movie, Internal Affairs? Listen, it's a fucking movie. It's a cartoon. What protects the cops are other cops. It doesn't mean in that mafioso organization that every cop is your fucking friend. It's a mixture of a lot of people, probably 60 to 70% who basically just want to get paid a check, okay? And so they're not going to rock the boat. They're not going to be Serpico, okay? Serpico does not come from that part of the Venn diagram. And then maybe you have 30 or 40% that are out there working, but, what, but who are they working for exactly? Are they working for you or are they working for themselves? A lot of them are working protection rackets, you know, under the protection of being a cop. Qualified immunity will do nothing, brothers and sisters. It will do zip. It will do nada. In reality, many of these police departments violate RICO. Okay, they violate federal law. Many of these police departments have organized crime so complex that you could legitimately call it the mafia, the mob. And that means if they really gave a shit, the FBI could go in and take them on, take them all on, if you believe in your good law and order bullshit. But that's a fantasy too. That's a cartoon. Just like your qualified immunity. It's never going to happen. And if it did happen, it wouldn't make a hill of beans worth a fucking difference. But good luck, though, right? Next topic. Next fucking topic.
So uh, I have been mainly because of morbid curiosity back on Twitter for a couple months. Um, and I, and I, you know, two months, that means that fairly soon I will be permanently banned again. Let me explain what permanent ban means. It means basically they track your IP addresses, which is really shaky. And they also, more important, you know, mark your mobile, mobile phone number as a bad number. And that means that you won't be able to create new accounts, you, your account will be locked, you're done. I, I expect that within a month or two. Not because of anything I'm going to say, necessarily, that is altogether that bad, and by the standards of Twitter, not even remotely so. But because I say things that are inconvenient. And, and I say, the, say them in ways that, where I try to get around the algorithm. That, that's, that's how you get permanently banned, is figuring out ways around the algorithm. If you're at a casino, you get banned for counting cards. If you're on Twitter and you figure out little tricks with their shitty, non-deterministic Turing machine, you get banned eventually, because that's the only solution at that point. They don't have the time or the resources to fix that buggy platform. So if you find a glitch and take advantage of it, you're basically going to get taken care of. I mention I'm back on Twitter because the algorithm puts stuff into your feed, into your timeline. And for whatever reason, or I kind of suspect I know the reason, a lot of stupid shit has been tossed into my timeline recently related to this issue of sobriety. I'm just going to say this up front. Alcohol, probably, in any amount, is technically poisonous. I don't know of anyone who would legitimately argue as a healthcare professional that there is an amount of alcohol you must consume to be healthy. It doesn't mean that a little bit of alcohol is going to kill you. It just means that I don't know that you can rationally make the argument that you're supposed to drink. However, humans have been fermenting alcohol for thousands of years, longer before we ever had quote-unquote civilization, longer before we ever started using, you know, gold and silver for money, we figured out how to make a fermented drink and drink it and get drunk. And everywhere, almost everywhere, you find a culture intact. Even primitive hunter-gatherer cultures, you will find, in many cases, fermentation. Does that mean it's right? Does that mean it's wrong? Brothers and sisters, you also have to figure that out for yourself, okay? That's part of the decision process that you need to go through. But you would be a fool to argue that it hasn't been part of civilization and society going back almost to the very beginning. And so of other things. So of murder and rape and abuse and other things. So the argument that it's been around forever isn't necessarily a very good argument either. I'm just simply pointing that shit out, brother, sister, friend. But a lot of folks will go down the sober path and, and outside of social media, they'll begin giving speeches. And again, you know, there are times I think to myself, I wish I were a better evangelist for Christ, but understand the word I just used, Christ. 
not an evangelist for some freak that wrote the Alcoholics Anonymous book, not an evangelist for, for some sobriety cult. No, I wish I was a better representative of Jesus. But a lot of folks out there in the sobriety mo movement are like cultic, like cultish, deeply religious representatives of whatever flavor of fucking sobriety they're on. I don't know. Let me tell you something. I have never taken the cure, ever. I've never said to myself, I'm going to stop drinking. You know, maybe if I get sick, I'll say, I'm going to stop drinking because I'm sick. Or I'm going to stop drinking for a while because I broke my left humerus and it needs to heal. Or I'm probably not going to drink for a while because I don't have any fucking money. And if it's a choice between food, water, shelter, and drinking, food, water, shelter are a higher priority. They are. Now, some would argue that by definition that means I'm not an alcoholic because I actually put things before alcohol. But brothers and sisters, I drink. Um, I try not to drink too much. I have more or less probably consumed more than the average person since my late 20s, since I was in the army. And I go through periods where I drink less, but I've never said to myself, oh, I've got to stop drinking because if I don't stop drinking, my life will be destroyed. If you're at a point in your life where you say to yourself, my drinking is destroying me, it's destroying my family, it's ruining my health, fine. According to my medical analysis of the last year, uh, I don't have diabetes, I probably don't have heart disease, I need to lose a little bit of weight, but other than that, yeah, I feel pretty healthy. And frankly, when I meditate on those bad blood pressure numbers, the ones after two weeks of having an arm broken in two pieces where it would scriggle scraggle and rub up against each other the two bits every time I move, I'm guessing having a trauma that's untreated for two weeks would raise your fucking blood pressure no matter how many fucking Percocets you take. And add to that the Percocet baby, which by the way, if I was at risk for a heart attack, that Friday night, you know, day four of Percocet and not enough water, that Friday night where I gave birth to the Percocet baby, if I was at risk for a cardiac arrest, it would have happened then. And it didn't. Now, none of this proves anything. All I'm saying is, brothers and sisters, I have no indication that the number one problem in my life, or even the second problem, or the third, or the 50th, is whether or not I drink a beer. But yeah, I'm on Twitter and I'll see people posting this shit about, you know, they gave up drinking and they drank for decades and now their life is 100% better. And it's like, you know, God bless. God bless. But then I'll sometimes also see these same motherfuckers fat shaming and beating up on fat people and mocking fat people. And I wonder to myself, what does that fucking 12-step program teach? Because it seems like it teaches people to be shitheads. And then, you know, they're the sober people who just can't stop beating up on people who still drink, and that's called projection. If you spend all fucking day on Twitter or Facebook as a sober, sober person beating up on people that are still, you know, drinking, maybe you should be thinking about why, okay? If you're sober, 
you should be happy just being sober. Like I said of the atheist, you don't need to spend any time beating up on God if you don't believe in God. And if you're sober, why the fuck do you spend any time, like, doing that shit? You know? I mean, I don't know. I get it in a way. I get that people, when they get in a good shape, they want to show off their abs. Oh, look at me. I just ran five miles. But whether I ran five miles or not, I just don't know. I don't know if that's what we should be telling each other or how we should be explaining it. I don't even know if social media is that appropriate a place for these types of conversations. But what I do know is this. If you want to live a sober life and then post that shit on social media and it ends up in my motherfucking feed, I don't know how to put this, it's going to get a shitty comment at some point. Oh yeah, did anyone tell you it was public or, or are you stupid? And then there was this one comment. Well, I wasted so much time on alcohol. I wasted all those years on drinking. I wasted all those years on drinking. I wasted... Fuck off. I wasted years on three useless college degrees. I did. Wasted motherfucking years on being lied to. I wasted years preparing for the army, being an officer, being in the army, and then getting the fuck out. I wasted a couple decades programming computers for shitheads. Fuck off with your wasting time. The one thing I'll say about the beer, I never needed a loan. And honestly, on, on the scale of regrets, it doesn't really compare to the aforementioned. So fuck off with your wasting time. I wasted time on a lot of things. I probably wasted time on a relationship that should have been my first one instead of my last one, and it ended up being pretty much my last one, even though it's over. Oh boy, brothers and sisters, I got lists of ways you can waste time, and nowhere near the top of that fucking list is beer. I would suggest, if you're on a sober journey, act like it. That's my, that's my advice. Act like it. Be sober, but don't spend a lot of fucking time beating up on those of us still drinking. You got a right to. You got a right to your free speech. And buddy, motherfucker, I have a right to also have my own goddamn opinion about it. If you're going to post it and it ends up in my, my wretchedly, algorithmically fucked timeline. If it ends up in there and I see that wretched shit, I'm simply going to say, why was it five minutes ago you were beating up on fat people? Why was it ten minutes ago you were telling the whole human race they're worthless? If honestly, brother, you're sober and you want to preach sobriety, why the fuck are you such a goddamn misanthrope? These are fair fucking questions if it's going to be in my public fucking timeline. But again, God bless. If you've chosen to live this life in this world and not touch the drink, great. Do the people around you a favor. Act like you're sober. Just don't be sober. Don't just be sober and then be mean and angry and yell at people. I've been around dry drunks. I know what they look like. Don't just be sober in some basic biochemical sense. Adopt the whole life and be sober and then get the fuck over it. Whether, it's, whether you're talking to friends and family or whether you're posting shit on Facebook or Twitter, 
Get over it. Not because you have to, not because you don't have a right to be a shithead, but because people like me will also have a response. And I have lots of ways you can waste your goddamn time on planet Earth, and they don't involve alcohol. Next topic. <laughs> that one just got me really pissed off, and I don't know what to say. Oh... Engine madness. I don't know. I've been watching motherfucking Little House on the Prairie, and I don't know if I'm going to talk about this. It gets stupid. gets stupid. Is this a quote? This is a quote. Dr. Freckles. But we've gone over this territory before. Here's a quote from Dr. Freckles. We don't have a shortage of resources, but we do have an overabundance of bad ideas. We do not have a shortage of resources. We have an abundance of terrible fucking ideas. Yeah. In the past, when I've discussed the issue of scarcity, I've used the example of the old Ford pickup. Because sometimes people will make a mistake and they will mistake suboptimal solutions for scarcity. They're not the same thing. If you live in a communist republic and there ain't no food and there ain't no meat and your water tastes like shit, welcome to the United States, by the way. If you live in a shitty, overly complex, legalistic, neo-Stalinist shithole, you may make the mistake of interpreting government control as scarcity, but it really isn't. Scarcity is a physical reality. Okay, It is something that simply exists. It doesn't mean that there aren't solutions, but that's the ticket. You actually have to have intelligent people in a free market looking for solutions. Government need not apply. In the past, I've talked about that Ford pickup. You know the Ford pickup, the 1978 F-150 or something? It's got, I don't know, one5 five boblillion miles on it, it gets about, I don't know, maybe 20 gallons to the mile? And you're towing a big old tank down the road, but somehow you only make it about 15 miles. And you're by the side of the road with your smoky McGlokey, shitty-ass Ford pickup that's hammered out, completely creamed, all the rings are, are shredded. All the risers are, are unrisen. All the fucking valves are inflammulated. Your fucking system smells like, looks like shit. You're with your fucking Ford pickup on the side of the road. And then your girlfriend says, well, shit, there's not enough oil. This is peak oil, shithead. We're in our Ford pickup on fire by the side of the road. Now, does this mean that Dan doesn't believe in scarcity? I do. I think scarcity is real. I think there's a reason why, you know, certain people in sports make a lot of money because they are who they are. And there's a reason why if I went out and started playing basketball, nobody would give me 10 cents. It isn't because I'm a shithead. It's because that person has skills that are scarce. 
and scarcity drives up prices. It always has, it always will. There are forms of scarcity. It used to be, before synthetic diamonds, diamonds were extremely scarce. Now with synthetic diamonds, they're less scarce. In fact, they're so less scarce, you've got these weird commercials now saying, give your wife a real diamond. And that's a funny conversation to have with a chemist or a physicist. Gold and silver have value because they're scarce. It's funny, a lot of Bitcoin freaks who <laughs> should know, given the, the baseline functor at work in the Bitcoin protocol, a lot of Bitcoin freaks will say, there's not enough gold or silver, but then they'll talk about their 21 million coins or whatever. Anyways, a lot of people will talk about gold and silver and treat scarcity as a weakness. No, scarcity is a strength. It's supposed to, be, it is scarce. It's one of the reasons why it is valuable. If gold and silver were everywhere, it wouldn't be that valuable. It would, it would still be beautiful. It would still be useful, but it wouldn't be that valuable. It would be more like iron. Iron is useful. Iron can be made to be beautiful. And, you know, there's versions of iron, chemically speaking, that look like gold. Fool's gold. But iron is plentiful. It's everywhere. So that's one of the reasons why, you know, you're not paying $2,000 an ounce iron. But a lot of people will mistake suboptimal solutions, really bad ideas, as an indication of scarcity. And this is where things go awry. This is the Ford pickup, you know. And this is what Dr. Freckles is saying. If you look at the world today, especially if you look at government and how much of the society, not just that it consumes, but it controls, you know, you might recognize the Ford pickup and say to yourself, maybe things wouldn't have to be so scarce. Maybe we wouldn't have the problems we currently have if we simply had less government and more freedom. And it's funny because, you know, a long time ago when I was one of those, what, what did I used to call myself? Ugh. A George F. Will Republican? A small government Republican? What a kind of made-up bullshit that was. But yeah, when I was a teenager back in the rock'em sock'em days of Ronald Reagan, um, I'd call myself a small government Republican. It took me about 10-15 years to realize that was a gigantic dead end. You know, that it was a lie. Not that the Democrats weren't also a lie, it's just that the whole thing was one big fucking F you. And, and at the time, I didn't think about that Ford pickup underneath it, that ultimately that was the problem. The politics was just, you know, frosting, paint, you know, Bondo, Formagasket. The real issue was this fucking shitty Ford pickup. And if you get rid of the pickup, all of a sudden, a lot of problems go away. But it's scary. How do you convince people to do that? How do you convince people on Social Security that that Ford pickup is going to kill them? How do you convince people on disability that that Ford pickup's a problem? How do you convince a hobo that had no money, a broken humerus, that, hey, you know, he needed actual help to have surgery? How do you convince that hobo? Well, for me, it's not that difficult because I can, in fact, see through the subtle issues. But the reality is, a year from now, maybe six months from now, I probably couldn't get that surgery. I probably would have had to do the medieval thing that I was joking with my friend about. 
At least I'd gone through that thought process. I think a lot of people think this nasty Ford pickup is going to go on forever, and it can't. It's, it's a matter of the physical reality. And it isn't because of resources. We probably have everything we need on this planet to live, even with 8 billion people right now, to live and probably to be quite happy. But we can't be as stupid as we are. We can't be the giant ignoramus. We can't be the Ford pickup. And the only way you escape that paradigm is through liberty. But how the fuck do you convince people of that? And the answer is, at this point in crazy, given the public school system, given the fact that everybody has an ironically named device in front of their eyes, you're not going to convince people of shit. Anyways, next topic. Next topic. You know, um, I'm simply scanning the Zero Hedge headlines as quickly as I can. Yeah. Yes, I'm scanning the zero hedge headlines. Yields and rate hike odds spike as jobs data forces Fed to remain hawkish. Luongo Davos runs into OPEC plus buzzsaw. Oh my God, who says you can't time the market? Tesla cuts U.S. vehicle prices for fifth time since January. Huh. March payrolls lowest in 27 months in line with expectations. Unemployment rate hourly earnings drop. Texas bill would create state-issued gold-back digital currency. Futures dip ahead of jobs report on good payrolls Friday. Israel strikes Lebanon after barrage of militia rockets. When the rate hiking tide turns, it does so quickly. Higher for longer is a neat phrase, but it rarely plays out like that in practice. Yeah. Matt Taibbi says, eat me MSNBC. VC funding collapses, puts some startups at risk. Here's a good question. Is the petrodollar the next thing to break? QE via back door. JP Morgan asks, will the Fed restrict reverse repo? Use the short circuit 1.5 trillion bank run. <laughs> I don't know, Zoidberg. Probably right, you shit. NFT sales collapse as crypto bros rein in luxury spending. Oh, okay. Fauci inks deal with new Italian anti-pandemic biolab. World's mega projects, the giant dildo, there is no money. This isn't funny. Reporters without borders, barred from visiting Julian. Here's how to push back against the billionaire anti-guns. Here's where millennials are buying most expensive homes. Pity the child. Pity the child. These are your zero hedge headlines. Pity the child. It's, you know, for roughly 8 a.m., you know, whatever, April the 7th, 2023, Friday, Good Friday, 
Mountain Standard Time, these were your Zero Hedge fucking headlines. Fuck you. Are you happy? So, there have been some weird things recently, and let me just preface this, because this is kind of related to my rant about sobriety. Which, again, I'm not opposed to sobriety, I'm opposed to people turning it into a cult. And, And frankly, turning it into some type of New Age movement, or some type of general health movement. You want to stop doing something? Like, for example, let's say you breathe dust. You breathe dust, you collect dust, you breathe it, you know it's not good for you, you'd love somebody to call you and to get you to stop breathing dust. If, if you know, breathing dust is a problem for you, you should stop. But you really don't have to write a book, and you don't have to have a 12-step program. Just stop breathing the fucking dust. Anyways. I'm sensitive to the algorithm on Twitter that it loves to put certain things in my timeline. And I'm also sensitive to the fact that I've had people, I've actually verified and met in person, who've inspected my timeline and said, yeah, this is pretty fucked. And one of the funny things recently is I'm getting tons and tons of shit from people I don't follow related to sobriety, related to alcohol, related to how bad alcohol is. And then there was this article, I think, recently that said all previous studies that said alcohol was good for you were wrong. Which, again, we covered that earlier, brothers and sisters and fuckheads. Anybody that's telling you that alcohol is something you have to have or you need to have, I don't think they're telling you the truth. I don't think that it's something you have to keep yourself healthy. I'm not saying it's going to kill you. I'm just not convinced you have to have it, okay? So I got all these sober saints and freaks in my TL, people I don't know, people I don't follow. I get these articles telling me that we were wrong when we said have a glass of wine, it's fine, it's good to dine. We were wrong. And then there's this issue with the whole Dylan Mulvaney trans issue with Bud Light. And all of it in that bouillabaisse, when you, when you understand how manipulated shit is right now. And, and if you understand my perspective is, it's going to be a train wreck. When the real shortages hit, they're going to hit big, and it's going to be a lot scarier than you can fucking imagine. But what if, you know, these plates that are spinning, the ones that pow, you know, Jerome Powell at the Federal Reserve, what if some of these plates are getting wobbly? What if there's a plate labeled, you know, the stuff you need to ferment alcohol, and and the warehouse where you stored a lot of that shit... And what if that plate's starting to to bend over while the other plates are fine and you need to come up with a plan B, C, and D, shithead? So why not convince people we were wrong? Alcohol's the devil poison. It's going to kill you. We were wrong. I mean, we were kind of right during Prohibition, maybe. But alcohol's the devil poison. It's going to kill you. And oh, being sober... Your life opens up, you go skiing, you go riding mountain bikes, you live a hungry good life with pictures of the sky that look like 1995 Bo Blimptock, but let's not get too critical of those fuckheads, am I right? And, you know, if you put all this together, it's almost like they're trying to manipulate people away from alcohol, and it's a little bit paranoid. Like, this is one I almost didn't make into a topic because for me it's more of a spooky intuition 
that at some point in the near future, they're basically going to have, you know, the, the first major shortage. And it won't be food. It will be alcohol. It'll be beer, wine, spirits. But I could be wrong. I don't know. The thing about what's going on right now is I don't think they're managing towards what people like to call a soft landing. And because of that, when this starts unraveling, it's going to be catastrophic. If we'd wanted a soft landing, the year for it was 1998 after LTCM. Okay. If we wanted a second chance of the soft landing, it was the dot com. If we want a third chance of the soft landing, it was 2008 and the GFC. Where we're at in the game right now is there's going to be no soft landing. Okay. At all. There's going to be no way out of this. It's not going to be a recession. And if you're pleading for lesser catastrophes, you know, whatever, God bless, you know, I'm sure that fits with your sober life. But the reality is it's going to be jagged and ugly. It's going to be discontinuous and nonlinear. It's going to be cascading and brutal when it begins. And it's not going to begin in, in any way where everything is gone at the same time. I would not be surprised. You know, because again, I don't think the toilet paper shortage was real. I don't think the coin shortage was ever real. I think these are good examples of what, you know, what I would call the boy who cried wolf psyop. You know, it's a psyop that basically buys them time. If you make shortages look like a fucking joke, then all of a sudden, the first couple weeks of there being no food for your screaming kids looks like a fucking joke until it's not. So we'll see. Next topic. Next topic. Next topic. I'm sure I'll get all kinds of speeches from my sober friends. So I have been watching the Little House in the Prairie shit, and I gotta say, one of the powerful messages I get from the series, and I never thought about this when I was a kid, probably, although at times I probably had a twinge, a twinge of cringe. At times I probably sensed it, but here's the deal. Charles Ingalls must die. I'm tired of shit. Charles butts in on people's lives like he's Captain Kirk violating that prime directive and sometimes, you know, he'll get punched and sometimes Charles gets shot. Sometimes it's an accidental shot. Sometimes it's a shotgun round that doesn't work. And then there's this episode with Nels Olsen. And you know, the thing is, early on in the series, Nels and Charles become friends and Charles will, will just laugh and mock. Every time Nels talks about Harriet, every time, you know, uh, Charles is with Caroline and they're talking about Harriet Olsen, they'll mock her, they'll make fun of her, they'll denigrate her. And then Nels needs help in this one episode in, in season six. And it's like, you know, listen, Charles, I, I, I met this, this woman named Molly. And she's a ginger Irish freak and she's beautiful. And she's not like Harriet. And what does Charles do? He starts getting all judgy. He's like, oh my God, you need to go see Reverend Alden. I can't believe you're so shitty. I can't believe you don't respect the institution of marriage. And meditate on that too, because Charles does take every fucking opportunity to make fun of Harriet, to make fun of their marriage, to make fun of their family. So the same shithead who would make fun of this man's wife and mock 
this man's wife in front of him is unwilling to provide counsel. Okay, this is the guy who takes in the kid who punches out grandpa and tries to teach him a proper lesson, but he can't be a proper friend to his friend Nels. He has to be judgmental. He has to say, that's none of my business. What kind of a fuck are you, Charles? Charles Ingalls must die. I mean, it's like Charles Ingalls simply must die. I mean, he's the guy that goes to the mine. Excuse me, he goes to the tunnel project. He kills a bunch of Chinese. He doesn't fucking care. He's the guy that goes to the, yeah, goes to the quarry. But he doesn't die. The cool guy dies. Yeah. The cool guy dies at the quarry in season one. The powder monkey. Powder monkey Pete. But Charles is fine. He'll go to Mankato and, and get in a fight and he doesn't die. Somebody needs to take him out. I know that's a silly rant to beat up on Charles Ingalls, a make-believe, well, not a make-believe, a character from a first-hand account of life in the 19th century in Minnesota by Laura Ingalls Wilder, uh, as it's been translated into a TV show, but I don't know. I mean, at some point, being one of these assholes who goes around acting like Charles should get you should get you killed. You may think, oh, but he's the hero of the show. Is he really, though? He is a lot like these superheroes who does his thing and walks around and knocks shit over and pretends he's helping people. But in a lot of cases, he looks like he's just being a shithead. I don't know. Maybe I'm being too judgmental. Yeah, I don't know about this last topic. I have to apologize. Um, you know, and I'm not going to apologize for my rant about sobriety, but I will close it out here. If you're going down the path of sobriety, you're probably not helping yourself if you become one of these sobriety evangelists. Uh, no offense. It's probably not working for you. It's probably not going to work out well for you. It isn't because it's wrong for you to be sober. It's wrong for you to believe that your choices are supremacy choices. They're the best choices. That's the wrong part. Okay? I drink beer for my own fucking reasons. One of the reasons is, is I do enjoy it. I enjoy beer itself. But I have other reasons too. And they're my fucking reasons. I don't go on my podcast and say to people, Oh, hey, if you don't drink beer tonight, if you don't get, get drunk, you're going to be a shithead. I joke about the topic. I do. And I joke about myself vis-a-vis the topic, but I don't ever, in my hundreds of fucking hours of podcasts, tell, the pe tell people, say to people, oh, you're a shithead if you don't get drunk. You're a scumbag if you don't get drunk. I also don't fat shame. And it's not just because I'm overweight. There is no benefit, and, and I've given this speech, but you know what? Some of these sober motherfuckers on Twitter who love to make fun of fat people, maybe they need to fucking hear it. Because they're so consumed by their psyops 
which makes them basically robot slaves, and I'm going to mock you, that they don't see what's going on. Being overweight since I was a little kid, because it was something I dealt with, with the exception of my 20s, my whole fucking life. Being overweight shames itself. You don't need anybody to make fun of you. You don't need people to point fingers at you. Being overweight when I was a kid was plenty of fucking shame. I didn't need any additional shame. Not from my parents, not from my friends, not from my family. And in my 20s, when I was in pretty good shape a lot of that time, I also didn't need people to say, oh, you look so good. That too sounded tinny. That too sounded like another kind of wretched bullshit. I don't give speeches about fitness. I don't give speeches about drinking. I don't give speeches about any of that shit because personally, it's none of my fucking business what you do with your body. As long as you're not harming animals and children, as long as you're not harming people who don't want to participate, as long as it's between you and another adult and you're not related, it's just not my fucking business and I don't fucking care. Maybe that's the rant of Charles Ingalls. Maybe that's why I say Charles Ingalls must die. Because as a human being, there is something brilliant about leading by example. And as a human being, there's something shitty by, about going around telling people what they're doing wrong. There is. I, I don't know what it is. I don't have a precise name for it. But there's something problematic about it. You want to lead by example. You want to be the kind of person that other people want to be. You don't need to give speeches about how alcohol is poison. You don't. Just do it. Live the sober life. Stop being angry at people. If you're going to want to help people, don't in the next sentence mock fat people or say the whole human race is garbage. You see, I can do that because I don't spend any time giving my little, little speeches, right, about how you got to live the way Dan lives. If you live the way I live, you might not be alive, fuckhead. I don't give speeches about it for that reason alone. I mock myself. I don't take myself that seriously. What kind of an egotistical freak takes themselves so fucking seriously that they can, on the one hand, make fun of people who probably deal with that kind of shit every fucking day of their lives, and on the other hand, you know, talk about how everyone's garbage, and then on top of it all, but want to save you, save you from the evil alcohol companies. Fuck. Fuck you, shithead. Grow the fuck up. Okay, if you're going to be a man, be a man. But little boys go around doing the shit you do, shithead. Have a great Friday. It is Friday, 8.13 a.m. I have to go to the doctor um, for a checkup on my arm. Hopefully everything's fine. Am I right? But my robot arm feels okay. And my robot love is waiting for me because I lure her. She's out there somewhere. My robot lover. Made of silicon and steel, made of copper and paint, 